This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. up everybody my name is james d fury and this is blackball okay every writer is a whore wait that was said to me when i was eight years old and it was said to me by famous canadian writer mordecai richland i had spotted him i recognized his face from the back of a book that i saw or that i had at home i think it was the jacob tutu and uh hoodoo fang book and I saw him from the street. He was sitting at a bar. I was uh, born in old Montreal, and we were at a relative's place. And so we were uh, seeing her band, I think. Anyways, I saw him. I saw the side profile, and I'm like, I think that's Monica Richard. And I just wandered away from my parents, who didn't know any better because it was the 80s. And I walked in, and I tugged on his cardigan. And I and he looked down, and he had these glasses on on his nose. And he said, yes. <laughs> totally not accommodating at all. And I said, um, excuse me. How does a person become a writer, Mr. Richler? And he looked me up and down, literally gave me a once-over like they do in Los Angeles, and he said, become a whore for the profession. Now off you go. So I love it. I'm excited about today's show because, um, as I just said to them off-air, it's nice being around writers that have tangible successes because I know so many um, that are always kind of on the cusp or just floating underneath or just crashed and burned or whatever. And I'm one of those writers, there's, there's writers that get jealous. I'm one of those that, that really enjoys the energy of seeing people successful in their field when it's the same field as me. Joining me today are, is a group of writers, um, I think, I believe it's the core group of writers, uh, from what, I've, what I can tell, um, who were responsible for the stories in the Bill Burr animated adult series, F is for Family. It had five seasons. Some of us hoped it would have longer than five seasons, but we'll get to that as well. And they are executive producer Michael Price, story editor Joe Heslinger, and I believe script supervisor Henry Gamble. Did I get all those occupations correct? Because I went by M- M- IMDb, and I can just blame them, right? Like, Well, I would say that uh, one correction. Henry started out as our script supervisor. But then for season one, but then by season two, he was a staff writer and was a huge writer on the show. He was writing in the show in the first season anyway. He was like, we had a very small room then, uh, and uh, he was already contributing, but then officially became a writer in season two. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take away. Here, here's, here's the exact reason why. I am so not successful. I didn't know the hierarchical structure of the job positions, and staff writers sounded lower to me than script supervisors. Just did. You know what? I think I should go. <laughs> Thanks for coming, man. Yeah, and I had a great time. No, no, all good, all good. Um, can, Mike, can I can I just start with you and ask you, um, Emily Towers, by the way, who's another staff writer, I believe, um, it will be joining us hopefully soon. When when a team is put together for a show like this, and it's hard to kind of gauge that maybe because there hasn't really been a show like this. You know, like the, the adult animated cartoon, sure, that's been around, but this, ha- this is the only one that I can think of that has nostalgia kind of like as part of the motif of, of the delivering the show. And I'm just wondering if you, if, 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 if there's like a, a type of person that you have in mind, it looks like a lot of these writers are younger, so they maybe didn't grow up in that era that work on the show can so can you just give me uh, sort of an idea of how the writers were assembled and, and how sure. the vibe between them work out well it all started of course with bill burr the great bill burr you know who uh his life is forms the basis for so much of the show and and uh, i met with bill 
Bill had, you know, in many ways, Joe was the first person to ever work on the show even before me, because Joe was working for Vince Vaughn's production company at the time for Vince and Peter Billingsley. And Bill met with them about talking about stuff and they came up with this idea to make an animated series based on Bill's childhood. Uh, they got me involved because I had some experience with animation, working on The Simpsons for a long time. And uh, we started talking about it. And, you know, these things take a long, long time and cut to, I don't know, like a year or two later, we finally got the show ordered by Netflix. It's time to put together a writing staff. Uh, we had a very low budget, so we couldn't have a huge writing, writer's room. Um, and uh, Joe was one of the first people to join the staff. You get to know Joe a lot when we were working on developing the show, and he was really funny, so he joined us. Uh, Emily was a writer who I'd heard of from uh, my friend Mike Scully, who uh, worked with Emily on the thing, and so he recommended her highly. Uh, Henry, I knew a little bit already uh, from some other things socially, and uh, I'm a friend, a co-worker of Henry's dad, the great Tom Gamble, who worked on The Simpsons. Uh, and Henry had some experience being a writer's assistant, supervisor on some other shows, so we brought him along, but I knew he was hilarious, and I knew that he would ultimately start contributing. Uh, and aside from myself and Bill, who lived through the time period, uh, our other foundational writer was a wonderful guy named Dave Richardson, who uh, sadly passed away about two years ago um, during COVID times. Uh, I guess we're still in COVID times, but... Um, Anyway, he was, he's my age, so he lived through the 70s, I lived through the 70s, Bill lived through the 70s, Joe, Emily, and Henry not, so there was a lot of, like, showing YouTubes of things, yeah. and, like, this is what it was like back then, you know, so uh, it was yeah, great to have a little bit of a combination of both, of both living through it and not living through it, but the one thing I'll say, I mean, to cut you off, James, is the one thing that when we were looking at writers that, that really, um, Bill really uh, was responsible for that too was like asking everyone we'd have a meeting like what was it like for you what was what was childhood like for you you know and even like you know henry is only you're 30 i think right so you're henry was born years and years after the the time of the uh show but like everyone had like very similar stories of like bullies and and you know yeah. crazy families and crazy dads so that's all universal um, yeah that's what's kind of timeless about it it's one of the things i think that are timeless about it it also has like an artistic kind of style to it that um um i think i already said a version of this in the intro but it, it, like i could feel like the cars in the early 80s were leftovers from the, that era so you know what i mean so there was some sort of leak into the next generation but i, I yeah it's uh can i ask um henry and joe just uh henry you can go first what is it like to work in a writing room because a lot of writers that I know are dicks. <laughs> a lot of them, you know, sure. they're, they're just funny guys, right? And then like, some people can can handle the funny guys, some people can, and whatever. But some of them, a lot of them, don't mix. What's the writing room culture like? I'll ask Henry, and then maybe Joe can answer that as well. It, I mean, it's the it's the greatest job in the world. It's the best, and it, it really the the energy, the vibe, as the kids say, it kind of starts from the top down. Um, it really depends on who's running the ship. You, Making maybe you can tell this. Mike Price is not a sociopath. He's a great guy. He's very nice. He's very funny. Uh, so that kind of sets the tone of the room because I've I've worked in other shows that, that were maybe yeah, there is a sociopath involved. Maybe it's someone more high strung. That always trickles down. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It, it kind of feels like being on uh, you know like a basketball team or something like that where you know your role, especially if you're like a younger guy. Um, and you know me as a script coordinator, I knew that like all right, I could always pitch jokes. Like jokes would always be welcome, but like if Bill's going on a rant and and pitching these great story ideas, that's not the time for me to be like, "Hey, everybody, I have an idea." Like you, yeah. you pass the ball, your star, and you let him dunk the basketball. Like I'm gonna set a pick for him or whatever. I'm gonna just get this basketball metaphor stretched as thin as I possibly can. <laughs> but it's a it's a just a great like team environment, and you just you go to work and you you hang out with the funniest people you've ever met. It's the best. Joe, that must be a universal feeling then. I mean, if, if one person feels that way, everyone kind of has to because that would be the vibe of the actual place, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, listen, I, this was the first writer's room I'd ever been in. And before I, I got the job, I always thought that, you know, well, I, I had known what writer's, room were, writer, writer's rooms were like, but I was always like one of those late night writers where I would just sit in a room by myself and type and, and write jokes by myself. And that's how I, how I started writing. 
So jumping into a writer's room with guys like Mike and Dave, you know, these veterans of, of comedy at first was really fucking intimidating <laughs> to be honest with yeah, you. Uh, but immediately like the vibe in the room was so nice and welcoming that, you know, you just kind of jumped in and, you know, there's still, you know, I, I had like my water wings on, like, start, you know, learning how to swim, but, uh, but it was great. Uh, and, and definitely Mike, and Bill both set the vibe and the tone for the room, and it was super welcoming and, and fun. Yeah. It was a very small – oh, sorry, James. Yeah, please. No, please, go ahead. Go our ahead, first Mike. season, we created in, like, the smallest room you could possibly be in. It was, like, the size of, like, I don't know, like a, like a walk-in closet. And yeah. even to get in and out of the room, you had to, like, get up and, like, move your chair to get in and out. <laughs> So, I mean, if we didn't get along in that room, we were going to be in big trouble. We had one prison cell window that we had to share. Bird would show up and, you know, it was like, <laughs> you knew it was going to be a good day that day. You yeah. could still smell Thursday's pizza on Saturday. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, question about uh, one of the, one of the things, this might be uh, called something and I don't know the terminology, but um maybe it's a sad clown thing when, when i see comedic actors or when i see comedy writers um find sort of like uh, the heartstring part of the show or the you know the, the one that's more that speaks to more um our visceral kind of inside does that come from surprising places or the same source all the time like is there someone that sort of specializes in that not schmaltz but you know what i'm saying like the good version of schmaltz where where it's like oh wow good job do you have to be a certain mind to do it like that? Maybe I'll ask Mike and then. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, it, I mean, I, so much of uh, a lot of this show was based a little bit like on my experience working on the Simpsons where uh, the Simpsons is this incredible alloy, whatever, you know, of like really crazy, but ridiculous cartoon stuff, Homer falling down a mountain, you know, uh, but also incredible love amongst the family and pathos and things like that, you know, and some of that, so much of that came from um, the, uh, our ultimate, like our super executive producer of the show, James L. Brooks, you know, who created Taxi and Mary Tyler Moore and directed like Terms of Endearment. This is that kind of mixture of craziness, funny, but also real reality. And that I think some of it, again, it still all comes from Bill, Bill's attitude towards life, Bill's observations on life. Mm. Um, and it, But I, I gravitated towards that. I know we wanted it to be funny. I knew we wanted to do like a like a funny take on what the 70s was like from a more contemporary like point of view. We knew we were going to do that stuff, but the pathos of it and like this character, it came from the character of this guy, Frank Murphy, you know, who who is angry. You know, why is he angry? You know, because Bill always said like he wanted to be a pilot, but he got his girlfriend knocked up. And so he had to settle for life as, an, as a dad, you know, and so like yeah. that's the basis of it all of like of his anger at the world, why he's mad at his kids, why he hates his job. So I, there's a version of the show that could have just been, for lack of a better um, reference, like Family Guy, where, you know, it's all just crazy stuff happening. And But we didn't want to do that. And again, like, why, why was the show going to be different than we could have made? Why, I, we don't want to make another Simpsons. We don't make another Family Guy. We wanted to do a show. And also, I'll say this, being on Netflix, where they really encouraged us to go with this sort of style of storytelling where it's sequential and serialized and like, like every other show on Netflix made, made that more possible and made that more important because it wasn't just like a Simpson style where every episode is its own little self-contained little story. Like, so if characters are moving forward in time then they learn things, they change, it just, it just gave, gave us so much freedom and Netflix really encouraged that to, uh, to do that. So like we started thinking of these, characters as real people and 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 like with real hopes and dreams and upsetments and anger and love and just made it work that way so we were just kind of had a, that it's, it's kind of felt like um if you were to make comparisons uh that, that like the first animated um show that had like a little bit of wonder years in it you know yeah like it, and it, and it was um I don't know Joe how old are you because both you and Henry both seem like really young to be doing what you're doing and I, I remember what I was doing when I was thirty and I'm not even gonna tell you because it's so fucking embarrassing now but like <laughs> you know you guys are working with, side by side with with some pretty great people at such a young age um do they haze you do they like you know do things to you like a like a rookie like on a basketball team or anything <laughs> well I mean I, I grew up in the '80s so uh you know. There was no hazing, but uh, 
the the late great Dave Richardson would would certainly put you through a little boot camp when you uh you know the first couple of weeks of the room. But you know, like I said, he was uh, it was like tough love. You know, he he was all, he would give you give you shit, and uh, you know while while the room was going, if I was quiet, he would text me and and give me shit like, hey, fucking pitch a joke now. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, hey, Joe, James, can I interrupt you just briefly? Henry somehow yeah, dropped out. Yeah, Henry, and, I'm going to actually remove Emily is now Emily. here. Emily apparently is now here oh, waiting in the, in the waiting room. There's Emily. Hi, Emily. There she, there is. she is. Hello. Staff writer Emily Towers, everybody. Um, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. That was funny. Well, well not funny, but um, Henry's internet kicks and then Emily arrives, so that's good. Um, uh, switch it out. Tagged out. Just kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, actually. I had a question. Specific, like, we're going to jump right in now that you're here. Um, the, what was it? The character, Vic, <laughs> I find that the, the episodes that you were involved with seem to center a lot around him. I don't know if I'm mistaken about that. It appeared that way from, maybe I was skimming, but it was like, oh, that one, that one, and that one, or something. And um, I was just wondering, is is he all of us? <laughs> Really? Yeah. There he is. I think so. I think so. He's a little of all of us, for sure. And and any like any episode definitely starts one way, and then by the end, like you know, everybody's had their hands on it, and everybody's contributed. And I am honored that Vic has made its way into so much of the episodes that my names are on. I mean, early on, I think we knew that Sam Rockwell was going to do it, and that was super duper exciting to everyone because he's. Um, he brought his own magic for sure too. I'm going to play something because I wanted to play it for the person that wrote it so I could say this is amazing because I yeah, think it um, it's the soundtrack of my head <laughs> almost all the time um, and I think you'll find it funny <clears throat> oh you know what let me do that in a second well someone else because I put it in my trash bin but um, the, the if there was a culture like there's stories like Dazed and Confused, the cast and the crew from Dazed and Confused, they get together, I think, once every year, maybe it's more than that, um, because they, they felt like a sort of sense of camaraderie when they were making the movie. And a lot of them did that movie and no other movies. And then they just whatever. But they still felt the connection. F is for family. I, I, maybe I'm grabbing the Hallmark hokey angle here, but it, was there a family vibe among the people that were responsible for that show? Oh, yes, definitely. 100 percent. Yeah. Mike, uh, and actually, I think this is the first time that we've all seen each other for you know a minute, right? Mm-hmm. For at least a year, because like, yeah. of the season, at least a year because season you know, five got, came out a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago. So yeah, and that was all. It was all during COVID. So you know, this is really the. And then we've all kind of gone off and and done our own thing. But um, yeah, I mean, Evans for family was a family for for sure. Seven years. You I know? missed the the question at the beginnings, and this was my first writers' room that I was hired on as a staff writer for the first season, and it was definitely yeah, it was a, it was all yeah. it was learning everything on my feet with it was me and like Mike Price and Bill Burr and David Richardson. So it was a very intimidating slash. I felt very lucky to have this incredible uh, uh, mentor or staffs to be. Uh, learning alongside with uh, so it was um it was great it brought us all over i will say uh i will say right away oh sorry emily no no it was that, a tiny room I, it was a tiny yeah room. it was a tiny room we, oh for, apparently henry is like now in the backstage area waiting to come back in. i don't know why is that sorry i usually hear a notification when that happens yeah that's okay okay there you go but you um go. there he is but um yeah i mean I've, emily came right in and like some of the most important things like one of the most important thing we did because we'd written a pilot. I had written a pilot with Bill like over a year uh, before we ever got a green light to make it. So that first episode about the TV and the magnet on the TV, mm-hmm. that was written like almost a year and a half before we actually started making the show because we were trying to sell it. Uh, and then it was like, okay, what are we going to do for the rest of the show? Now? <laughs> what is the rest of the show? And and so much of it was about these characters, developing the characters. And I have a very specific memory about um, working on the second episode um, I think it's the second one uh, where we talked about the character of Sue played by Laura Dern and like, what is her deal? And the, the, the way we wrote her originally was very much kind of like a Marge Simpson, like I'm here to support your father, you know, no, 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 you kids be nice to your father, you know? And then we realized like, we got to give this character some dimension, you know? So 
Uh, we were talking about it, and we had which I was very against. Yeah, Henry was dead set again. He almost quit, as I recall. But um, but so we had this thing where she had this job we call plasterware, which was like our version of Tupperware, and like, and so we had that episode where she spent all day working on the plasterware, and it was like, and then Emily was so important for that, of like that thing of like what is really going on with her, and she's not happy with her life. And I remember Emily pitching that moment of like her crying in the bowl with the bowl over her head in the room. And it just killed us all. We just like just were just laying around like laughing so hard, but also crying for her. And that was the beginning of that. And like it ended up being this giant character arc for her, you know, wanting to work and, you know, and second season, getting a job, working at the plasterware factory. I mean, the place and but it all stemmed from like real stuff and uh that was i remember very very specific memory of, of emily pitching that crying into the ball yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have a moment like that and maybe i don't know who it's from maybe it's from emily as well but the the relationship um and and the way that that was reconciled that then between uh allison why am i blanking allison oh, Alice. henrietta van horn right and and uh when right? no but when he uh when the kid was like trying to woo her back remember when they when they when they broke out and it wasn't working and then what ended up working is when he wasn't even didn't even know that she was there and he was singing to the kids so oh, oh alice was... i'm sorry alice 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 uh, yeah Kevin's sorry. girlfriend alice. i have yes. notes somewhere but now it's too dark <laughs> but yeah. um but but you know what i'm saying that sort of like intermingling of emotion and and humor um is that another kind of moment like that because they i thought the show was sort of known for that kind of thing well, yeah. I mean, it, it developed along the way. Like, we didn't know what it was. Honestly, like I said, like, we wrote that first episode, and and then we were like, okay, what is it now? You know, so it was all these things kind of just moved as we talked and talked about episodes and came up with like, story ideas or a character. There'd be, like, a character which is, like, a throwaway character. Like, for instance, uh, uh, there's a character named Ginny who was Sue's <laughs> good friend, you know, who we ended up writing about her. And so we ended up adding a whole crazy thing about her talking about her husband and why her husband isn't interested in her, Greg. And then we decided that Greg was probably a closeted gay man. And then suddenly he became a character, you know, and it, that was so fun. That was just so fun. So things just grew kind of organically. And, and I feel like it was always was like a, a Bill mandate. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a big mandate for Bill that like it had to have an emotional impact for it to ultimately be funny. For all the wild jokes, like at the end of the day, you know, he really wanted the emotional parts to be like real and relatable and, and true to life. Bill would have to rein us in sometimes. Like, we, if we got too crazy, Bill would come and be like, "All right, all right we can't have a, like if we pitched a, oh yeah, this guy has uh, six nipples like a dog." He'd be like, "What are you doing to my show? Like, <laughs> please, this is not the show I want to make." Uh, right. We would sometimes because Bill was there a lot for the first season. Bill was in the writers' room almost every day, which is amazing because he took time out from a very busy career, you know, as a comedian, to really be there. And and he had never been in a writers' room either. Uh, but then as we moved through the seasons, he, you know, his career started really picking up steam, uh, even more and he trusted us. So he would, he would be gone for a while and then come back. So we would write stuff on our own. Like, <laughs> and like we're like, all right, wait for Bill, wait, wait till Bill sees this, you know, and see if he, the one thing I remember the most was in season, uh, three, I guess it was when they're at the movie theater at the drive-in movie and, and Bill, the kid had this, this, uh, weird, um, traumatic dream about his parents being airplanes having sex as airplanes <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing about bill burr is so wonderful is that sometimes he would skip over the stage directions he'd be reading the dialogue and so i think i think it wasn't until it was animated that he saw it or do you remember that you guys yeah 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 i mean and he we, tried we to play yeah or you could see him like at a table read like you know, reading something that we tried to sneak in and not tell him about and like reacting to it live. Like, you can't hide it there when he's performing your lines in front of yeah. everybody. Like, you can only yeah. be so sly. Yeah. Um, It must have been kind of a trip for Bill, too, because uh, when, you, when you hear him talk about his dad, like, just in interviews and stuff, like, he sounds like there's a duality of sorts, like a cat's in the cradle kind of thing. And then he ends up playing him. You know, like there must be a real, there must be some sort of catharsis there for him in that process. Are you, and are you guys, does, does, that's maybe that's, maybe that's the question. Does, um, in those moments, does a, does a Bill Burr, like with his role in the show, convey to you what his, what the emotion would be if it, you were taking nuggets from his life? 
Yeah, I'd say, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, because we would all kind of do it too, like just use the show as a, a in lieu of therapy. We're like, oh, my dad was doing this thing, it was driving me crazy, and now I'm going to put him, you know, something like that. Um, so we're all guilty of that, and then we can all blame each other for it. It's like, no, 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 that wasn't my pitch. Well, there are often moments when we talk about our lives and things that happen, and you know, that we all thought were normal. And then the rest <laughs> of the room would go, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the one thing that did happen to you, Emily, that got on the show was the thing with the slip and slide and, and sliding yeah. out into the street. Yes, yes. Sliding th straight through the slip and slide and into the street. Um, yeah, and I'm also just thinking about David Richardson, uh, if we want to go there, and how he learned to wipe his butt versus how everybody else learned to wipe their butt. Up versus down? Was it that? Standing up. He would do it standing All up. the way up. Oh, big guys do that when they have little arms. They do. Yeah. Maybe that. Yeah, he's a tall guy. Yeah. He, he was a very tall guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah, I have a friend that when he told me that, I was like, "Why do you do it like that?" He's like, "I have gator arms. I can't reach my bum because I weigh three hundred and twenty pounds." And I was like, "Okay, okay, I got you. That's a bad combo, buddy." Like, do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports marianne iveson from iveson voice and the let's take this outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Um. Yeah. The, who thought of box sixteen? Because I thought that was kind of neat. It was like simple and really amazing at the same time. That was a combination of a lot of us trying to figure out that we kind of paint ourselves into this corner of like, all right, here's what's going to happen. This was the last season. Emily wasn't around for this season. It was season five. But like, all right, we got this amazing thing that's going to answer all the questions. And what is it? You know, <laughs> it's like, um. I think that was actually uh, it came from uh, uh, the great a great two guy writing team Eric Goldberg and Peter Tibbles who joined the show in season two. <clears throat> they were the with us for um, two and three, but then left for season four and came back for five. I think Peter Tibbles picked Bach Bach sixteen that it was yeah, Bach. Tibbles. Yeah, Tibbles. It, but it was, was a the, lot a lot of work to figure that one out. Mike had a What's great this? mantra in yeah, the room that was like, oh, that's a problem for tomorrow, me. Like, we would just, <laughs> we, we would create a problem and be like, let's not worry about it. Let's have fun and, and do funny stuff and we'll come up with yeah. something later. Well, I think that's also a thing that I, I mean, one of my favorite shows, and I'm sure everybody's favorite show, is Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul, that whole universe. And I remember reading about how they would, they would paint themselves into corner, like story corners, and there'd be like, all right, how we now we have to get out of it, get them out of it, you know. So like the thing with the magnets, you know, with with the the laptop and the evidence locker, like things like that. They would just paint themselves into this corner narratively, and it's like, all right, now we got to figure out how to get out of it. So we we did a lot of that, and um, I mean, I think um, that show became a template for a lot of stuff. I was going to say one more thing, more shout out to Emily, which is like, which was this thing of like. Um, using like little flashbacks and flash forwards and our little cold opens as a way to sort of shed some light on characters. And um, Emily pitched another great thing, which was like the first time we saw that Billy, Jimmy Fitzsimmons, the bully, like had a gentler side, which was that he was making like a birdhouse in woodshop class. <laughs> and he was very proud of his work. And then he had a little <laughs> puppet named Pepino and everything that he made. But that was like, I remember there was a lot of resistance on that from some other people in the room saying, why do we need this? That's not funny. That's not Frank Murphy. Yo, I'm, I'm going to put you through the fucking wall. But it was like, no, no, this is great. This is what Breaking Bad would do. You know, so I think we use a lot of like, what would what would Vince Gilligan do with a lot of our, our work? <laughs> Why did the show last? Guy, oh, sorry, James. I didn't mean oh, no. Go ahead, please. But then Emily also pitched a guy shitting so hard he had to brace himself on the wall. So Emily can do it all. She can. She actually got up and demonstrated in that little room that day. Wow. The sky <laughs> dump. Yeah. You know, like, 
<laughs> and that became um they printed that out they printed that self that sell out and put it on the bathroom key like the little key that you used to go to the bathroom so that for the, for the rest of the show this picture of the guy going, was like attached to the key to the to the men's bathroom history yeah um why did it only last five seasons i don't i, I didn't read on I didn't read anything about that. I, I don't read about stuff well, like that. I like the, the creative side, but but well, I would say based on the way things are going at Netflix right now, like our five seasons is equal to The Simpsons thirty-five seasons <laughs> uh, because everything is getting canceled. Uh, they just canceled Inside Job, which is a really great show. I think they were already hmm. were making the second season. They canceled it. Yeah. Anyway, um, Netflix has their own reasons. Uh, I felt we could have kept going for quite a while. Um, we we had season four came out and they got this call saying oh we love it oh my god this is so good and the next season is going to be your last one and it's only <laughs> going to be eight episodes and that's the way it is you know so i don't know they they have their algorithms they have their based on how many people watch it versus how much it costs and that's what they oh, said i hate i hate that sentence everything about it <laughs> do you know what i mean like the the algorithms yeah. are figuring out if you guys have jobs or so like one of the great shows I, I i think i've heard some people involved with the show say like you know, like it's better to like you know go in and out when you're still really good and hot and everything. And I don't know. I, I mean, per, per, from a job perspective, that sucks. But like, do you, is there truth to that from a creative perspective? You guys don't want to say yes, anyways, because the jobs. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to run into the ground. I wanted people to be like, season fifty-five. This one sucks. <laughs> I want to do it forever. Because I mean, we all love this show. Who wouldn't want to spend more time in that world? Like, we just. And, you know, when you only get to do it's six, eight, ten a season, like there's so much stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor and that like the, the next season would start to be like, OK, this thing we had to cut last year. Like, can we work it in next year? They're like we had seasons and seasons of ideas that we were excited about that we didn't get to do. Were you guys you were going to age the characters? Were you going to keep going? Well, I mean, like, they already were. Yeah. As we move forward in time. I mean, episode one takes place in uh, September of 1973. And the final episode took place on Christmas of 1974. So, like, we had birthdays and stuff. But we, we, we particularly, again, this is Breaking Bad, too. Like, Breaking Bad did, like, seven seasons, which took place over the course of two years or something. So uh, we wanted to keep the kids, that you know, young and whatever. And we wanted to stay in that, again, this is from Bill, too. Like, that time of the 70s, that early 70s time that isn't covered in, like, that 70s show, which is, like, puka shells and platform shoes and disco like we really wanted to stay in that kind of like serpico 70s of like everything's dirty and and the gas crisis and inflation and all that bad 70s so we never wanted to go forward we never wanted to see like kevin go disco or anything like that so we, we really so we took our time to like make sure every every season was only covered like two or three months uh so but i mean if we'd done like many 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 seasons we would have gone continued forward into time oh like, yeah yeah um, okay, I, I want I, I just want to get back to the writing room thing for a second because I'm just kind of curious about a couple of things. One, the process, like if, if people have their own process, do they have to sort of adhere to a scheduled process now or can they do they bring the work home with them? Is it a better result usually when you work um, you know in a, with a, a, in a group environment? I'm just so curious about how all that works. Is it different all the time? Maybe Joe? Yeah, I mean, you really can only do so much like prep work, you know, all the work is done in the writer's room and it becomes this cohesive amalgamation of everybody pitching jokes and, and building off of something like I might, you know, give a nugget of an idea and then Henry will build on it. And at, you know, the end is, is always this amazing, you know, script that everyone has their hands in. So it, it's very much a, a, you know, a communal process, uh, and, you know, you almost like have this group think where you share the same brain, but maybe not accessing the same part of it at the same time. So we all have our own little, you know, personality that we can, we can bring to it, but, um, it, it's very much a, a, a collaboration for sure. Are you guys allowed and would you get high before work? <laughs> no. Uh, I, as far as I can tell, no one got high before. What are you, a narc? You trying to get me in trouble here? <laughs> I'm not with the union. I'm fine. <laughs> Although Dave, Dave came from a, a, a even previous generation than me. I mean, Dave and I were the same age, but he had he had been working for much longer than 
like it, I didn't get started working as a writing. My first job as a writer was like when I was like 35, but David been doing it since he was like in his twenties. But he remembers like going back to like where they used to knock back drinks when they were yeah. writing on uh, shows like Grand like on the shows that he took. <laughs> Hee-haw. Dave was a writer on Hee-haw. That's true. Uh, empty nest. Empty nest. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. Empty nest. Uh, for what well, great. Malcolm in the Middle. But like those shows in the seventies and eighties, I think those guys were like doing all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's still kind of like that. You guys, it's so funny watching four writers be like, no, I have no idea anyone that smoke's marijuana, in fact. I know. I mean, I mean, seen it. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean when you go off and write on your own, yeah, you, yeah that's nobody fine. Watching but nobody wants, nobody wants anybody high or drunk or whatever in the writer's room. It's like, that's counterproductive. I wonder, just out of curiosity, I want to stay on this for a second because I, I think it's funny. But um, if, if someone did get high, no one knew except for that guy, and they just blew everyone away with their ideas that day. Would that guy be able to be like, okay, guys, I was really stoned today, but see, can we start doing this that way? Like, would, would, I'm just curious what the culture is like, because do labor laws and unions come in effect? Like, you come on, like, or do you guys no. just want me to stop talking about getting high before no. work? I mean, I'm aware of I'm aware of a sh of a very famous show, I won't say, but where the the uh, showrunner is famous for like drinking all the time, <laughs> and uh, gee, that narrows it down. Yeah. Uh, you I know. know shows too. I am very aware of shows that do partake during the day yeah. during the room. Mm -hmm. But it would it would never be talked about on a podcast, for example. No, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the the closest I, I came in season one at least, um I was a script coordinator at the time, so like you know, we I would be on the computer taking notes and, and taking care of the script and all he that. Really Everybody, couldn't get up. I oh absolutely not. That's a nightmare. Um <laughs> Uh, but like the, I remember early on, wasn't a working title for the show. It was like American family or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget who, if it was Gamont or Netflix, somebody sent like an American themed gift basket and there was like a 12 pack of Bud Light in it or something like that. That's right. So everyone, everyone would go home, uh, and I would stay and I would like clean up the script and check the typos, print them for the next day, all that. Every time it was like a particularly late night, I'd say like, okay, I get to have one of the Bud Lights. And so like over the course of the season, I, you know, I had a good amount of them. And then we were <laughs> celebrating something. And one of our producers, Mike Legnese, was like, hey, we have those Bud Lights. Let's do those with those. And I was like, yeah, let's uh, drink those Bud Lights that are still in the fridge. And there were like two left. He got mad at me. But... Uh, I think you got a janitor fired that day. I yeah we gotta change the locks of these doors <laughs> you can tell that you guys are friends you know how, like you can tell colleagues are just like you know they don't laugh at each other's jokes they just huh you know, they go like that mm -hmm. like, it, like it's interesting I, I didn't think a vibe could be um you know noticed uh in a podcast i will say this yeah. i will say this about myself is that like because I've always heard that, like I, I had friends who worked on, we know people who worked on Frasier, the, the most amazing show, oh, Frasier of all time. one of the best written. They would shows say that, there. like they would say, like the writers' room in Frasier was all very dry, and they'd all be sitting around like this, you know. And then someone would pitch, <laughs> someone would pitch a Frasier line, you know, Niles, we have to get here, but the opera team is coming, you know. And then they don't go like, they don't go, that's good, that's funny, put that in, you know. That's good. But, but I'm like a laugher. I laugh. I'll laugh at a joke the first time and like the same joke the 500th time. I love laughing. So maybe that's that's sort of sitcom like programming. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, no. and it's like a weird. I feel like you kind of need both. I, I mean, I feel like I thrive on the dry humor, but you also, I mean, when somebody has a good laugh in a, in a writer's room, and you know when their laugh is like a genuine laugh. Yeah, it feels it, everyone will just like feed off of that, and it feels yeah so good. There's some um, so there's some moments I remember from the from the room that are like that, where like a thing would build, and we'd all just be pitching in. And the one thing I remember, we were all there for this was this was season three as well, and Bill was there that day. It was the episode I think Emily, maybe you wrote this episode too, the one about highlight. Did you write that episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Uh, where Kevin and his buddies are out there on the train tracks putting like weird stuff on the train tracks and bill i think pitched oh they put a cow on the train tracks and then when the train comes the cow shits milk and we just all laughed for like 20 minutes about that and like we spent so much time trying to make that that stuff work on screen but like that's the kind of thing where you were just like oh i remember bill like saying yeah and then the cow the cow shits milk. And we were all just laughing and laughing and laughing so it's fun to laugh i like it 
It's great. One thing I really appreciate about Mike as a showrunner, because like you, some shows you work on, like there, there are parts of the script that are sacred. You can't touch them. We're not changing a word. Mike is very like, even if this is my favorite joke in the show, if you got a better one, let's hear it. Like, cause then I'll have a new favorite joke in the show. Like there's, there's always a green light for everything and just like rapid fire. Let's get as many crazy, yeah. hilarious jokes in as possible. Well, that's the thing you learn early on. I think when you're getting in a writer's room is that you can't, especially if it's a script you wrote, like you went off two weeks to write the script and then you just gotta, you gotta be able to sort of let, let it go and, and be okay with maybe somebody pitching something better. You can't get defensive. You can't fight for it too much. You know, then, that's, those are the kind of people that don't get, uh, don't make it. <laughs> I, I, I find, what I find really interesting is that my lack of experience, like I'm not trying to be a TV writer or anything, but so, so my lack of familiarity with your world and, and listening to you guys talk, it's, it's just, it does sound like the dream job, Henry. That's, I think it was you that said that at the beginning. Yeah. It, it just sounds like hanging out, um, you know, and, and do, like, you know, do, like, do you guys record the meetings? Like, just in case you guys oh. miss something? No? Okay. Oh, that'd be- the best part is we have a person. We have more than one person that sits down and writes it all down Yeah, for us. like that was we me season have one. To do the writing. Yeah. 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 Henry for a little while. No, we have a writer's assistant, and there's like a big screen that just is dictating everything that's kind of going on. And I think it is quite a craft for the writer's assistant, for sure, of like what goes down and what doesn't. Um but it truly is like it, it's a it's a great job. It's like a way high stakes hangout set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is it long days? Like, does it depend? Like, if, does Bill ever come in in the mood and he's like, "We gotta get this scene done"? Like, are, are you you know? Is, I is would it say like Bill. Like I'd say Bill was hardly ever in a mood. Like, Bill was always great. He was always fun. Uh, and he liked to leave by six. Yeah, he liked to be home with his kids, or he he have to leave. He's like, I got to go do a set at the comedy he's store or whatever. But um. It all it all comes down from the top again. Like like I worked on shows where uh, we worked every day from ten a.m. till one o'clock in the morning every day, you know. And like only a few of that was getting work done. The rest of the time was sort of fooling around or stuff, you know. And, and um, so it all stems like often from like the sometimes there's things out of your control. But like if you if you have a nice if you have a happy home life. And you like your, you love your, your, your partner and your kids and you want to get home, then it focuses you to like, sir, let's get done. Let's get out of here and get done by five thirty or six o'clock. And I'll go have Emily, Joe, Henry. Do any of you have that problem? Cause you guys look like collectively you're like 50, you know, I mean, me and so, yeah, I got two kids. And we, I have two kids. Emily and Joe's kids were born. We're, we're born huh? while we were yeah. working on the show. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So My I little child. Then I would belly. be a bad boss to work for because I don't have kids or a family. I'd be like, come on, let's hang out. Let's order pizza. What do we say? Two two in the morning today? Does that work with everybody? <laughs> don't want the like single lonely boss. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. and, and where are you guys all uh, where are you at right now? Are you guys all living in like y'all at home? Emily, I know you're in Vancouver, so we're sort of like I've the been there. Canadian version of a paisan, whatever that would be. I think a beaver tail or something, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Henry, where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. You want to know where we are? You want to know if we smoke weed? I'm getting suspicious of this. <laughs> you want to know? There's a SWAT team right outside my house. Listen, I, the I, reason I, why spies work is because they ask the questions <laughs> that professionals would ask. It's the same questions. Exactly. Well, you're uh, a I'm pod in Los head, Angeles. You know? I'm yeah, a yeah. I, I'm in uh, Los Angeles in my apartment that I've been in forever. Great. So. What do you guys all um, the, like? I mean, right now it feels like this job is a dream job. You know, I I, I don't like. I'm not a guy that ranks things. I'm not. I'm not going to ask you like, is this your favorite job or whatever. But the uniqueness from one job to the next, and when they're both amazing, um, is it? Are you guys like? Yeah, I think I think I'll be able to experience that again, or have you already? You know, I'm just curious about it because I I'm 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 really digging the fact that you guys were kind of like a family. I don't know why. I'm a sucker for the schmaltz, but uh, I I like that. Like, I think every, I think a a lot, most writers' rooms end up in some sort of family because whether it's dysfunctional or any, it's rare. And a lot of writers' rooms, you know, they by nature don't last that long. It is sometimes like quick fire. Everybody's thrown together for long days, and then it's over. I've had like an assortment of experiences and Ephesus family will always like be very special because it was the first and I didn't know what I was doing or where to park or who to talk to or how to pitch a joke or, or how it all works. 
um and i was there for a long time and it was on netflix sort of it was like a new a new platform it was like 2015 24 2015 when we started it so it was kind of the wild west of animation on netflix and stuff so it was it was fun we really i felt very episode family i was more more included on on huge stuff from the very very beginning i felt like very involved in the process it's kind of like a like a summer camp because you know we'd be in the writer's room it'd last you know a few months and then we'd have this big gap in between seasons and then we'd like come back and you know there'd be like some little bit you know things that are different maybe we have a different office or some new faces in the in the room but it was always that thing you got to look forward to and you know mike was always going back to simpsons but for me i wasn't i wasn't on another show i was doing other stuff so it was always like great to come back and and you know be with friends i guess uh which is always fun yeah david richardson in season one would say like sometimes you're on a show and you know that that's a special one he can feel it from the jump he was like i felt that at malcolm in the middle and then he, he listed a bunch of his other credits um but he was like i felt it on malcolm in the middle i feel it on this one this is a special show and it, it really it really was there's uh this the writer team um eric goldberg and pete tibbles who we uh talked about earlier they left for season four and i would get they were working on another show i forget what it was but i would get texts from them on the regular being like what's going on like what, what was mark's bits today like what did you guys talk about like it's not this this room this job is cool but it's not the same room like the vibe is different and like we miss it there and yeah. like so they were really you know really excited to come back and excited yeah. to have them back but. yeah i was and i was so lucky to have these amazing people Part of the reason, you know, I wanted Henry and, and Joe and Emily on this was because they were at the beginning. They were, they were at the start. It was Dave Richardson. There was a great guy named Tom Giannis who was our first season. And then we added the amazing Mark Wilmore, who, uh, again, sadly, also passed away about two years ago now. Uh, for He was there for seasons two through five. Eric and Peter, uh, Valerie Vaughn, uh, Jessica Williams, another another great team of Luan Thomas and Joe Pierulli. Uh, I hope I'm not leaving. I think yeah. that's everybody. Sam Sam Stefanik, who replaced, took over for Henry when Henry became the writers. Uh, the the um, moved moved to the writing staff from script supervisor. Then Sam became that, and then Sam was hilarious, and he he joined the writing staff for the last two seasons. Also great, just. It's so much fun and so just a great, a great group of people. Um, Emily, before you were saying, I just want to, because I remember it now, you were saying about, not that it was intimidating, but maybe it was the, the, just the people who, who you were working with at that time when you first started. And then, Mike, yes. you said that, like, you know, um, she was amazing. And I'm wondering if, Emily, if you changed your approach when you realized the sort of magnitude that you were in or if the key was to just remain the way you would normally approach it. Um, yeah, I didn't change the approach because I had I had no approach. <laughs> My plan was show up and sit in the chair and then like, <laughs> which is it's true. It's like there's no training, there's no I, I had been a writer's assistant on a drama on a big network box drama called Almost Human that lasted one season and it was a nightmare. <laughs> Sorry, almost human. Um it was just very long hours. It was just kind of a disaster from the get go. And it was, uh, I was terrified, but I kind of knew what, how people sort of behave, but a drama room is different than a comedy room for sure. It, for like lots of different reasons. But I, it was intimidating because I, you know, other than being hired by these guys, I also just hadn't spent much time with them. They was still, I mean, they all had very established careers and I was coming in off as a, former assistant so um i just kind of just kept trying to do what i did in the interview which was make them laugh and then when that worked i just kind of kept going from there and then yeah. like um it's a lot of talking about experiences and stories and then it's a lot of pitching off other people which is such um uh fun and like you know it's all about like jumping brainstorming vibing with other people and like adding to their jokes without trying to take away from their jokes and and just yeah feeding off of mm -hmm. other watching these guys like crack up at your dumb little girl. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah the things i did when i was a little girl like you know it was great and i definitely just okay okay this is working this is working let's vibe off this let's vibe off that yeah um and you gotta yeah it's a lot it's also like naivete i should say i didn't know 
there's a stripping of your know. ego too when you work in an environment like that, right? Like you can't get enamored be, by your own content if if it if organically it leads in another direction. Mike, is that that's right? Fair? Exactly right. Yeah, you have to be okay with like letting it go on and like the next thing, whatever. Okay, we're going here. Yeah. Like, you know, but I had this thing. It was so funny. I didn't get to say it. You yeah, gotta let yeah. it go. Yeah, because on my own. On my very first job I had in a writer's room, like I spent the night before we started the, the script, going over the script and like writing down all my pitches, you know, and, and then we showed up and like on page one, they were like, ah, oh, this could be different. And then everything I wrote, like didn't make it, didn't work anymore. So oh, I was like, no. all right, can't do that. But I will oh, say too, I want to say, I want to say something too. It's like, for me, it's so great to see everybody, see you guys again, because even when I watched the show, uh, I remember, I mean, it's fun to see it all together, but I have, I have memories of specific moments of like when things got pitched or when, you know, when Emily pitched that, Henry pitched that. And so I just want to, I know I mentioned Emily stuff earlier, so I'm going to call out Henry and Joe. There was a moment when Joe, it's one of my favorite things. It was one of those things where like, you don't know where it's coming from. It was in the first season and we had this character named uh, 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 the, the Lou, whatever the, the uh, union guy, Lou Gagliardi, yeah, right. And he's 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 in the he's in this limo and he's got to leave. He's like, I gotta get out of here. And he's talking to Gary Cole, who played uh, Mr. Dunbarton, head of the the head of the um, the uh, the airline. He goes, he goes, let's get this over with. He goes, I gotta get, I gotta get to Gary. I gotta get to Gary by midnight. I want to be in Gary by midnight, right? And so Mr. Dunbarton says, Well, I want to be in Brandy by midnight. And that's his wife. And she goes, I'm Brandy. And then and then that was funny enough. But then Joe pitched that the limo driver sticks us out and he goes, and I'm Gary. <laughs> and that's just, we all just exploded. We were like, can we put that in? The show? Yeah, why not? It's so funny. We put it in. We ended up bringing him back. Gary came back a couple of times. Uh, and then Henry had a lot of great pitches, but the, it was the season two thing where Henry wrote this whole big scene where the, where the family is leaving in the morning and they're all mad at each other for various reasons. And they're all like yelling. They're like, Bob, Bill, Sue, Mom, Dad. Blah, blah. And then and then that guy Goomer is there. And he's like, hey, Frank, what are you doing? Are you saying each other's names? <laughs> he goes, I'm Goomer at the end, you know. So it's just such vivid memories of being in the room and, and hearing those things pitched for the first time. And it just makes me smile every time. So it, it is it common for, for a, a writing room to be what was it? A uh, a kennel or whatever the fuck you guys were using for the um for the writers' room that you said the little tiny room. No, that was because we, we, we had no budget for we had no budget for season one. The common season yeah. one. Probably. Okay, I was just wondering because because that, that sounds a, like they're trying to make room. you. No, but by season two and three and four and five, we were in this like beautiful. Oh, let's talk about that room. Yeah, let's hear that. Overlooking sunset, like by. On Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, you can see the Hollywood sign. It was this all glass room. That was. Is it fun. like sports where you have to be careful not to get it too big on your in, in your own head? Like a like a you know guy hits forty home runs and gets a big contract, and then all of a sudden we never had to worry yeah. about that. The offices weren't that nice. No. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah we, we could tear each other down if we needed to. If you got yeah. a little too big for your britches, you're in the room with Bill Burr. He's going to eviscerate you. Yeah, I, I've heard from more than one people um, that. There is a, f- a phrase that, go- that goes around Hollywood itself or the greater idea of sets or, and, 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 and TV shows and, and films and stuff. Um, have you guys ever heard the phrase, don't fuck the writer? Is that something that's really, <laughs> does that really exist? No, I've never heard that. Why would you want to fuck <laughs> us? Yeah. I'm just asking if you guys have ever heard the phrase. Of course, everyone, you guys are all very fuckable people, I'm sure. It's great. Thank but you, I'm just wondering, Mike, Mike, you look like you, you may have heard that. I just heard that the version of that joke, like that person was, that actor or actress was so stupid that she, you know, fucked the writer. Like, and now is that because the writer will then put you in? No, the writer has no power because the writer has. That's my question. That's in movies. That's in movies. But see, in movies, the writer is is basically a nobody, like a, like a part, like an interchangeable part, because people will get hired to write movies and they get fired and rebrought in. But in TV, the writer is literally is the the writer is the king. So. But TV, if I may, if I may, the writer often is a little bit more dark and desperate, hence probably better in bed than the executive producer, I would say. 
So uh, I don't know. Well, sometimes they're the same. same That's thing. true. Many yeah, writers. That's true. <laughs> this is what I tell but you. Don't, I what you don't this. want is you don't want to fuck the non-writing executive producer. <laughs> 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 that, the, the non-writing executive producer is somebody with zero power. Yeah. Are there still associate producers, or did they stop letting people give away those like they meant something? Does that, does that still it's all kind of a weird. Like if you watch TV shows and you see supervising producer, co-executive producer, associate producer, co-producer, it's all just kind of like a different name for a writer. Okay. There's um, a lot of like oh, and writers that aren't writer, which uh, I didn't know about till I showed up. Uh, Joe, can we start? Well, let's start with you, Joe. I'm going to go around. We're going to we're going to wrap basically. I just want to know if you guys have any like thing that you're working on, or if there's anything that you, that I didn't cover at all in F is uh, for Family, which I'm sure is a bunch because Joe has all, yeah. so much cool stuff that he's doing. Yeah, well, you know, like I was saying, in between seasons, uh, I wasn't writing in a room. Uh, I started making documentaries, and uh, so. Between, I think it was season two and three, I started working my first documentary. It was about professional foosball, and it took a couple of years to get that done. But now I'm I'm actually working on two uh, more documentaries. Uh, the one I'm working on is uh, about the NFT project, the Board Ape Yacht Club, and that's been uh, that, that's that's taken up a, a big chunk of my life the past year and a half. Okay, we'll look up for those. Uh, Henry, the NFT thing, sorry, I'm laughing at my own ignorance of what an NFT is. Like, I've sat there and I've been like, okay, then what? Then what? I, I don't and, think then, and then there's that NFT place where, where, where cryptocurrency goes where I'm like, but how do you establish the value? And then I just... You gotta watch Joe's like, doc. Yeah, Joe will explain it all for you. Yeah, Here, here's okay. my... There's Wait, there it is right there. Uh -oh. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know what it is. I, what, like that's it's a like rabbit a hole podcast. that is amazing and crazy, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully done with it soon. Did you say the name of your first talk? Uh, foosballers. Yeah, that's actually very good. Very, very good movie. The people that yeah. play foosball are fucking serious about foosball. I've seen that. I know that look. That's like a there's a Rocky-ish yeah. look to them. Uh, yeah, for yes. real. Yes. Yeah, Henry. I am currently unemployed. Uh, <laughs> There's the writer I want to talk to. <laughs> um, maybe something in January that I can't talk about, but uh, we'll see. But uh, I, I bought um, I bought a filing cabinet on Craigslist today, so I'll plug that. It's, uh, everybody wants really, to know about your everybody wants to know about your instruments on the wall here, behind you, Henry. Everybody oh yeah, I'm recording from a pawn shop. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, no, I'm just a bass player. It's just something I've always done. I like it. It's it's in lieu um, of therapy. The pond <laughs> The pond gas, baby. Um, but uh, yeah, no, follow me on my socials at Henry Gamble, G-A-M-M-I-O-L. Emily. Yes. I'm in Canada currently um, finishing up the last block of shooting a show called Animal Control for Fox that will be out. February 16th, uh, Joel McHale, very funny, like workplace comedy of animal control officers. Um, it's been really fun. It's live action. So this is, it's funny because I worked on Ephesus for Family and then the next, I worked on uh, Family Guy for five years and this is animal control, but um, Ephesus for Family and Family Guy. I said for a while I only worked on shows. Is, is it difficult to be appropriate at dinner parties when you work at the Family Guy for five years? Like, has that become a problem? Yeah, you know, when I I coming to a new writer's room, um, it was a bit of a culture shock coming from the Family Guy writers' room, which is like a fossilized room from 1999 to the to like a brand new Fox comedy. And uh, yeah, I had to remember I wasn't in the family guy room. Uh, but it and that was very very large writers room. I will say plenty of elbow room in that one. That uh, was a lot of fun too. Mike, Mike, I'm sure you have a lot going on. I'm, I, I'm curious, though. I, I wanted to ask you this because I heard this years ago, and I can't remember if I dreamt it, but I think I heard it. Um, is, is it true that a lot of people who write for The Simpsons are mathematicians or used to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, some are. Uh, we have a couple, a guy named Jeff Westbrook, who's a PhD in math, who's on our been our writing staff for many, many years. Uh, Other than Al, comic book guy, what character does he write for? Everybody. Everybody writes for everybody. Everybody writes for everybody. Uh, Al Jean, one of our executive producers, is a very, uh, very smart math guy, too. Went to uh, Harvard. Well, you know, so many of the 
that's the, the, the thing they were the Simpsons people. They all went to Harvard, but uh, I didn't. I went to Montclair State College in Upper Montclair, New Jersey. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a good that's a great staff. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be there. And it was they were so nice to me because they would let me every year and a half or so take off for a couple of months to work on Ephesus for Family, and then my job would still be waiting for me at, at when we came back. So I can't say enough good things about the Simpsons, and it's been really really fun. To be there and and i think we're kind of hitting like a kind of a third or fourth wind on the show right now but some really interesting uh out there unusual episodes that are really fun and really taking some big swings I, i've so, read i've read things where like some purists are like i can't believe they got rid of the live orchestra <laughs> or something like that well that that's a, that's, a, that's, a, no, that's that's that happened that on simpsons that's oh, okay yeah. kind of a business x whatever business decision i was that, like there was still a big orchestra <laughs> sure yeah they would they would have a giant orchestra at this scoring scoring stage at, at fox that it's only used a couple of, only used so much now but um yeah i miss that but uh yeah um well, listen, I, I really enjoyed having you guys on. Uh, Mike, I reached out to you and you were like, you know what? We should have like, I was like, have 20 of them on. I don't care. Like, I think that'll be great. Um, And uh, and it was great to, to sort of like see the the producer guy bring together the, the, the writers uh, for a show like this. Because, you know, I'm a Canadian. I rank, but in Canada, which I don't know what that means in in the United States. Canada's probably. Great. But but still, I, I and I felt like I learned something today because um you guys all do a version of the craft that I do. You know, I'm an, I'm an author and, and whatever the fuck podcast host is. I don't write anything down. Um, but the, the, you know, to hear uh, about the camaraderie and the vibe and to know that all these different personalities are kind of can be melded and be the same. It's neat for me um, as a writer. And um, I, I thank you for sharing your experiences. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having, thanks for having us, James. This is a blast. Great. This is great. So fun. <laughs> thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Um, okay, you know what I'm gonna do? Um, the sorry, I got it. You guys are still there. Hey, you guys just want to talk still, or I'm just so happy to see Emily and Henry again and Joe again. Yeah, so. hey, yeah. Come on, yeah. sometimes yeah. we like leave the guests and we'll just like we won't let them leave until they figure it out. So maybe I'll just uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thank you guys guy. again. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. Really fun. Um, that was the writers from Ephesus for Family. That that was great. I, you know, you some people don't think of the writers. You know, I do because I'm a writer. But you know, I I never hear other people that aren't writers be like, "Who wrote that episode?" Be, and I think that um, it's kind of disappointing because these are the people that kind of these are like the seeds of the story. These are the ingredients that made it what it is. And the one thing that stuck out for me that um, that I really enjoyed was listening to how. Uh, the part where your ego goes away when you walk into that room and um, it's everyone's baby. That's what it felt like. It, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a collage or whatever of everyone's ideas. And so the ownership becomes that of the unit, um, which in a creative setting seems like it could be very powerful. Um, I'm a typical writer of sorts in that um, if I hear someone cough, I'm just like, what the fuck? What fucking did so I don't think I could be a comedy writer. However, um, what I will say is that, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, animated series and when it comes to the kind of work that F is for Family undertook, they became kind of a, a quiet pioneer, I would say. Uh, and, um, yeah, again, it was, it, it was neat knowing that it was, uh, there was a multi-generational kind of viewpoint, um, like different perspectives from different generations were contributing to that show. And um, maybe that's what made it sharp because, you know, it's hard to imagine uh, any show hiring a millennial to do, uh, to depict a boomer parent and his family in the 70s. It just seems like a stretch. And, uh, and I would be, you know, remiss to say that it was not definitely uh, a stretch because it became one of the best shows ever. And uh, yeah, that's about as much as I fanboy out. Um, talking to writers from Happens for Family. Um, but I, I appreciate that. Mike, thanks again for uh, for setting that up. And uh, I have a couple announcements that are coming. We have about all that stuff that's happening at the network. I'm completely exhausted, um, but uh, I'm glad I was able to uh, to speak with Mike and the gang tonight. So uh, we will see you. Oh, no, God. You know what I did again? Everyone knows what I did again. I left the intro in my folder.
And now I have to do this to pass the time. Have it accessible, like on the desktop. I was one of those guys that was famous for like putting like billions of things on the desktop. And then I have my, you know, my buddy would come over and be like, why is my computer so slow? And he's like, you have a billion things on the desktop. Am I like expecting too much from these computer companies? Like stuff on the desktop? Anyways. We'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black Ball. Black, black, black ball. Black the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.